just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream today. This is just one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church in City Temple. We're combining together our worship at this time. Uh, if you'd like to be part of the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email. Uh, and if you'd like to come down and join us in person, we're here at Chelsea Community Church every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Today, I am so delighted that we have with us Kate Darnold, who's going to bring the word of the Lord to us today. So welcome, Kate. Thank you. I know Rod already prayed, but I'm going to do so as well. So um, just join me in prayer. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are in our midst and that your heart is for us. And um, I pray that you would take even my, what feels like a weak offering, and that you would use it for your good and for your glory. And to just, um, yeah, just touch hearts today for those that are here and for those that are listening online, that you would do um, immeasurably, immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine, um, personally and even corporately, in Jesus' name. And I just ask for your grace. Amen. Mm. Yeah, so thank you for letting me speak again today. Um, as I was seeking the Lord on what to talk about, um, I hit a few different topics before I landed on something. And I felt like what he actually put on my heart was um, what he's been teaching me personally over the last couple of years. So in order to, for you to know what changed in me, you kind of need to know where I was at at the time. Um, I'd been on a, what I would call a quest for healing for about 20 years um, before God took this like hard right turn and um, just started dealing with the deep places in my heart. Um, before that shift, in all honesty, I was ready to give up on the more of God. Um, I was ready to settle for what I would call like a broken mediocrity because um, continuing to hope that something might change, that something might shift, that I might actually have breakthrough, um, was just too painful. And after so long not seeing God come through the way I expected God to come through, I ultimately felt like I was so broken, um, something was so inherently wrong with me that even God couldn't fix me, or worse, that he had even given up trying. But it was in that low place um, where he stepped in and completely changed my perspective and ultimately gave me a new heart, because that was where I needed healing. So hopefully none of you have actually gotten to that point yourself, um, but maybe some of you are carrying some unresolved pain today. Maybe your actions don't actually reflect what you believe in your mind. Maybe your mind and your heart don't actually agree. Maybe it's something just as small as what you read in the Bible doesn't seem to apply to you. Regardless of where you're at, I'm hoping that today as I share a bit about my journey, um, that you can take the next step forward with the Lord in yours. So for those decades that I was waiting up to that shift, I spent a lot of time renewing my mind, which we're commanded to do in Romans 12 too. And through it, God peeled off like onion layer after onion layer after onion layer um, and did do a work in my life. But it wasn't until um, I actually, or he showed me Isaiah 53, four through five, verses four through five, that I actually started seeing like a heart level healing. Um, Isaiah 53 is a messianic prophecy, and verses 4 through 5 um, say about Jesus, that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, 
smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So when God started to show this verse to me, I really focused in on born our griefs and carried our sorrows. Um, I actually even had Rod look up the original language for me because I wondered if it might give me some insight. Um, and he did, of course, and I found the word born really interesting. It actually has three different meanings depending on the context. Um, I felt like God showed me that he answers the scripture in three different ways, not depending on the context, but depending on the posture of our heart. So there's the first definition is to lift up. So I feel like this is kind of when we're not really actually letting, ready to let God in. We have walls around our heart, and we're keeping tight hold of like our offenses and the pain that we're carrying. So when we don't let God in, I feel like God lifts us up instead. The second definition is to bear, to carry, or to support. And I feel like this is when we're kind of like letting God in the door, but we haven't really given him full authority. It's um, a little bit like carrying a gym bag, that's the right word. Um, where I have one really white-knuckled grip on one half or one handle, and I give God the other one, and he kind of bears a little bit of the weight, but I don't give it to him entirely. And the third definition, and where I think he wants to bring us all to, um, is to take or to take away. When we release it to the Lord, when God actually takes the baggage that we're carrying, I believe, honestly, that he removes it, and we no longer have to carry any of it ourselves. So it's up to us. Are we going to hold on to things? Maybe we'll let God help a little bit, or are we going to give it to him entirely? So the healing I was looking for um, began when I took that scripture, that idea, at God, or, and God at his word, and found that he was faithful um, to remove those things I was carrying from me, just like he removes my sin. And I do believe that we can focus on the mind without dealing with the wounds of our heart to our detriment. But at the same time, the two things are so inextricably linked, um, you can't really peel them apart. And I become convinced that most of the things that we deal with in our lives, most of like the sin issues, most of the bad fruits that we're seeing, most, most of the problems that we're dealing with in our, our lives, um, come from either believing a lie about ourselves, or a lie about God, and then the wounds that are in our hearts associated with those lies. But you can't recognize truth, or you can't recognize lies unless you know what truth is. So that's where I'm going to start today. So first I thought we could take a little bit of a look at what the world says the truth is. And our culture right now would say that it's relative. It depends on external conditions. So if your circumstances change, then your truth may change. Or it might say that it's personal. You might have heard the phrase, well, that's not my truth. They would say that it's something that you choose for yourself. But what does the Word of God say? A couple weeks ago when Rod was preaching, he called it the owner's manual for life. So we're going to consult it. In John 14, 5 through 7, it records the following interchange between Jesus and his disciples. It says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So this scripture tells us that truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. It's Father God, because Jesus is his reflection on earth. 
So if Jesus is truth, then it doesn't depend on our circumstances. It's unchanging. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus, or truth doesn't change. And if Jesus is truth, then it, doesn't, then it isn't different for each person. While we do get to choose whether or not we believe, whether or not we believe doesn't change whether or not it's truth. And if scripture is given to us by God as our owner's manual, then what God says about us and says about himself in scripture is also true. Because Numbers 23:19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, oh sorry, has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So then, if we can accept that one, truth doesn't change, Two, it's truth whether we believe it or not. And three, that what Scripture says is true. Then anything that does not line up with what Scripture says about us or does not line up with God's nature or character revealed in the Word is a lie of the enemy. So you might be feeling like that was a whole lot of mental gymnastics and wondering where I'm going and why you're even here. Um, but it matters because you act out of what you believe. So, if I hadn't actually believed and that the bungee cord around my ankles was going to pull me back up before I smacked into the river below, I would never have jumped off, right? So you act out of what you believe. But it does get tricky, because you can actually, in my experience at least, believe one thing in your mind and another thing with your heart. And the one that your action reflects is where you're actually living out of. So for example, I spent years believing in my mind that God was good, but then I had an opportunity to step out on that truth, and my heart would just scream, that's not my experience. And then my heart would win, and I would limit God because I wouldn't actually step into what he had for me because I couldn't believe with my whole being that what he said about himself was true. Yeah. So the other reason I think it matters is because your freedom is at stake. So John um, 8:31b and 32, says that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you abide in his word, and you're truly his disciples, you will know Jesus, who is truth, and Jesus will set you free. So both truth and freedom are not about having the right head knowledge, or even making time for certain disciplines in your life. It's about having the right relationship. It's an honest, heart-level relationship with Jesus, and we learn where we learn more about truth and where that truth leads us into freedom. So that's the goal in my mind. But if that's the goal, then what does freedom look like? And I will say, um, I find freedom and wholeness kind of synonymous. Um, wholeness was my goal from the beginning, but I, one is kind of getting rid of bondage, and one is allowing God to walk you into, through a healing process. But I think the end goal, or the end place, is the same. So keep that in mind. Um, anyway, but there's a book I read recently that talks about freedom, and I think it's an interesting illustration um, by a, a man named Mike Hutchings. He has a ministry in Pennsylvania, which is where I'm from, um, that deals with um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and he wrote a book called Supernatural Freedom from the Captivity of Trauma, and he lists um, what he calls three counterfeit freedoms. So things we tend to believe will lead us into freedom, but actually don't. So the first one is absence of boundaries. 
And this is one like every teenager ever probably thought at one time or another. And it pretty much goes like this. If I could only do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, then, it would, then I would be free. Um, but humans actually do better with boundaries, and even horses, because there's an uh, illustration with horses, that when you set them in their corral, they learn where their boundaries are. And once they've learned where their boundaries are, then they feel safe. Um, and it's the same for humans, too, in a different way. Like, if you have a creative person and you set them down to a creative project, um, but you give them parameters, they're actually more free to walk into into creativity than if you just give them a blank sheet of paper. That blank sheet of paper is intimidating and actually keeps them from creativity. But when you give them boundaries, they can operate in that and walk into creativity. Um, yeah. So, and God gave us the Ten Commandments as um, godly boundaries, not so he can like shake his finger at us when we're being naughty children when we break them. Um, they're his best practices for our lives. Um, so inside of them, there's peace. Inside of them, there's safety. But when you step outside of them, there's consequences, and it eventually leads you into bondage, which is, of course, not freedom. Um, so some boundaries are actually in place for our good. Um, yeah. So the second category, he would say, is the absence of sin or bad habits. Um, the lie goes something like, if I could only break my porn habit, if I could only stop smoking, if I could only insert whatever issue you're dealing with personally here, then I'd be free. But Mike says Jesus didn't come to die so that, you could, that we could have better behavior. And actually when Jesus came, he changed the benchmark of sin from our actions to the condition of our heart. So you'll see in the Bible, um, particularly like adultery gets, I believe, changed from like the actual act of adultery to looking at someone lustfully. So it goes from the action and performing the action to actually what you're, what you're walking in in your own heart. So he changed that benchmark. And it's not like, I'm not saying God doesn't want to deal with like the bad fruit in our lives, aka the behaviors, but I think he's more interested in the lies that are at the root of our identity that they grew from in the first place. So removing um, those things can bring us into healing and bring us into renewing our minds. Dealing with the fruit often just leads to different fruit, not freedom. And then the third category he would talk about is change of circumstances or relationships. So the lie goes a little bit like this. If I only had more money, if I was only married, if I was only whatever desire of your heart, everything would be perfect. But the problem is we take whatever we're struggling with into our new circumstances, into our new situations. So when we're dealing with lies, when we're hurt, when we're um, struggling, we bring those things into the new circumstances. So it's not true freedom. It's the whole grass is greener on the other side thing. So even if you actually get the desire of your heart, even when you step into that green pasture, before long you're at the, at the fence again looking for another um, greener pasture because stepping into it didn't actually satisfy the desires of your heart. So then what is freedom? Um, he would say it's living out of our God-given identity. It's being confident in who God created you to be and letting him lead you through life in a relationship. So then we need to know who God's created us to be. We need to know who, what he said about us. And if you've been around for a while, I'm sure you've heard Rod speak about it, um, especially if you've taken the Freedom in Christ course that they're doing in September or Rod's Free to Lead course. Um, so I'm not going to give you chapters and verses on all of that, and I'm only giving you a sampling. But just know if you're interested in it, I'm sure they have some resources for you if you want to go deeper. Um, 
but here's a few that God is saying over you through his scripture. You have been forgiven of your sins. You have direct access to God and can approach him in confidence. You are free from condemnation. You cannot be separated from the love of God. You are God's workmanship, created for good works. And this last one I'm going to focus on a little bit longer. It's found in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. And I think it's a really good picture, actually, of what God is promising us and what, where we can live from a place of confidence. Um, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to, his, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. So basically, God's saying he's adopted us into his family, right? So even though the enemy can corrupt what I would say is like a healthy model, what God had intended, looking at God's original design can also reveal his heart. So on earth, when you're adopted into a healthy home, or when you're raised in one for that matter, um, these things are, are generally true. So you're accepted, meaning you are wanted and chosen. You're significant meaning who you are and what you do matters, and you're valued. Um, you're secure, meaning you're provided for and protected. You belong, meaning you're part of something bigger. And you're loved unconditionally, which I don't think needs explanation. Um, that, that, those five things are who God says you are. That is the identity that he's offering you to, to be able to live from. And I know most people's life experience would say something different. Mine definitely did. Um, and unfortunately, getting hurt is part of living in a fallen world. You might have had a parent who called you a mistake or couldn't provide a safe home for you to actually feel secure. You might have had peers, or a sibling for that matter, um, who made you feel like you'd never fit in. After decades of marriage, you might have had a spouse who walked away and made you feel rejected. Or maybe professionally, you've had failure after failure in life, and you might feel like nothing you do will ever matter. None of those things are true, not in the Lord. That's not who he's saying about you. And the, but the enemy uses those painful experiences to sow lies into our lives. And when we agree with them, they become part of our identity, and we live from that place. And some of them are so ingrained, especially the ones that we learn when we're young, um, that we don't even recognize that they're lies. But God doesn't create us in a way that is um, not in alignment with his nature and his character. He creates us in his image. So no matter how many times you might, in anger, lash out at your kids or lash out at your spouse or lash out at that driver who just cut you off on the motorway, you are not an angry person because God is not an angry God. What we see him get angry, particularly in the Old Testament, it's not his character. It's not his nature. So while he gave us feelings and emotions, which are not sin in and of themselves, once you slap a label, on yourself, you make that part of your identity, and then you live from it. Um, that's just one example. You're also not a victim. You're not rejected. You're not unloved. You are not the sum experiences of your, your life to now and what they tell you about yourself. So no matter what life throws at you, um, you belong to God. You are loved by him always. You are accepted. You are secure. You are significant in him because you are adopted in his family.
And when you put those five things, when you put those parts of your identity in man's hands or in your circumstances, rather than receiving them from the Lord and who he says you are, it always leads to hurt and disappointment and heartbreak. But when you can trust the Lord that that's what he's saying about you and live from that place, then you have confidence and peace and wholeness. So um, if you're having a hard time today believing any of those things about yourself, then it's quite possible that God wants to do a work in your heart. And I'll offer one more piece of advice on that regard before I'm done that I learned along the way. Your heart posture matters. Um, I don't know how many times I thought I was stepping out in faith um, when God prodded me to do something, but my heart posture was more of like a petulant child. So my arms were crossed across my chest, my lips were pouted, and the attitude coming off of me was more like, I'll give it a try, but I won't believe it until I see it. Or I won't believe it until I see you do it, as if God had to like prove something to me. Um, but that's not faith, and God responds to faith. So when that was what I thought was faith, I would step out and then just be disappointed because God didn't come through the way I expected him to come through. Um, another area he showed me where it matters recently was surrender. So I found myself operating out of a, what I would call a military paradigm of surrender. So I entered the battlefield of war against God, and he and his superior power like, wore me down until I finally just gave up, realizing that I couldn't twist his arm into doing what I thought he should be doing. And so I was surrendering out of defeat. Um, and while he is the superior power, and we have to recognize that, um, the heart posture should be to surrender out of his love for us, out of bowing um, to the, his best for us, because he tells us in his word, um, that he has good plans and purposes for us, and to trust him in that and surrender from that place um, rather than surrendering from, like, well, I can't do it, God. It's a totally different attitude. So even when our heart towards God is not what it should be, his heart towards us is always love and mercy and grace when we turn towards him in it. But his heart also goes beyond that. His heart for us is to see us walking in the fullness that he has for us, to lay aside the things that are weighing us down and holding us back, because that is when our light shines brightest in the darkness. That's when the world sees something that we actually have to offer. So any area where you've settled for less than that, the less than the best that what God has for you, or any area of your heart that's been stirred or he's putting a finger on a lie, you've been believing, I, I would just recommend surrendering that area of your heart to God today and asking him to do a work in it. Uh, so even as the worship team comes up for this last song, um, I would just encourage you to wait on the Lord, to ask him what he wants to speak to you today, where he wants um, to touch your heart. Um, and if, if he doesn't give you anything, then I would ask you to use the chorus of this song as your own personal intercession, because I feel like God always has more of his heart for you. Um, and if, yeah, if he has stirred anything in you today, then I would ha be happy to pray for you afterwards. Um, or I'm sure the, any of the elders would as well. So, but right now we're going to just finish in corporate prayer because I always forget that part. So God, um, thank you for today. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you that we can know your heart for us more. Thank you that you have freedom for us, that you have truth for us to walk out of. And thank you, um, yeah, that you are always just drawing us forward, that you are always making us in your own image and sanctifying us. And so today, God, I just pray that you, we would each take, take at least one step closer to you and what you have for us. In Jesus' name.